Welcome to the Sogro Marketing Council podcast. The Sogro Marketing Council is a membership organization comprised of growing marketers who want to stay ahead of developments in multiple areas of marketing. This podcast features recordings of Sogro Marketing Council meetings. Tune in to hear expert marketers share tips and discuss the latest strategies and tools in marketing. To join the next meeting and be part of the discussion yourself, visit SoGrowPR.com. That's S-O-W-G-R-O-W-P-R.com and click on the Marketing Council tab. Let's get growing. So excited to have everybody. So this is the SoGrow Marketing Council meeting and we meet once a month to share tips and network with other marketers. So the idea is that everybody has a different expertise in their particular area of marketing. And so by getting together, we are able to learn all these different areas of marketing without having to stay up to speed in each area. And then also, this is a great opportunity for us to refer business to each other. If you need graphic design, you probably need SEO. If you need SEO, you probably need crisis communication and all these things work together. So we are certainly um, open to everybody just getting to know each other. And then if somebody has a client or somebody they know that needs services, it's great to have that bank of marketers that you can say, oh, I know somebody who can do that website for you. So it just makes us more valuable as marketers because it expands our network of marketers as well. So the way the meeting works is that we share tips today and we have four minutes. So Sarah, if you don't mind timing for us today. So you guys will hear a timer from Sarah and that will just let you know it's time to wrap up and then we'll have one minute for questions. So we can just have a little bit of dialogue and, you know, we're not super strict if if somebody goes over a minute or two, it's, it's okay. But, you know, just try to give us a a little guideline on time. And um, so we generally like to start with the members and featured experts first. Um, And then if somebody wants to just log on and listen, you don't have to share a tip today, but you're certainly welcome to share a tip. And we like the tips to be educational and informational and not self-promotional. We're all gonna learn about your businesses. We know you guys are brilliant, wonderful, smart people and that will come through in your tips. So we don't have to do a commercial. So, um, and then the other thing we like to do is we like to just take a quick picture because when we post things on social media to promote other events, we just like to have everybody know that we're taking a picture and have everybody smile. So that way, you know, we don't have those pictures where somebody's like, why did you post that on social media? So if you guys are good, I will count to three and we'll take a quick screenshot. All right, everybody, one, two, three, everybody smile. All right, we're gonna admit one more person in. Um, Okay, hi Rudy, how are you? Um, give Rudy just a chance to log in. So does anybody have any questions before we get started? Hi, Rudy. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks. How are you? And just so you all know, we do have this as a video and podcast series. So please say (laughs) your name and your company. And that way we will all know who who you are and what your business is. Um, So Rudy, we just kind of went over the guidelines. I know you've come before. So we just do a four minute tip and we have one minute for questions. And um, Sarah will have a timer, so you can set that timer. Um, so, all right. Um, Kristen, would you like to start us off today? Sure, I would love to. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kristen Sellier with IDA. And today I wanted to share um, a tool that we use in our projects that's valuable for everyone. Um, when we start a project, we use a hopes and fears um, workshop to start it off. and. 
we get a big post-it note, like one of those enormous ones, and we write hopes on one side and fears on the other side. If we've got a whiteboard, we do that. And then we ask everyone in the room who's participating on the project to say, what are your hopes about this project? What are you hopeful at the end of this project that's going to happen? And then we ask them, what are you fearful about? And what that does is it allows our team to understand where they're coming from, their perspective and their concerns. And then also it helps us start creating objectives on the project. So this is what we you know, are fearful isn't going to happen. Like sometimes we'll hear or afraid that it's not gonna be adopted or it's not gonna be successful or no one's going to like it or it's not gonna move the needle like we wanted to. And then we can probe deeper into those questions but it really brings the entire team together. And um, it's, a, it's a very useful tool. And then throughout the project, we leave it up on the wall so that when we do hear those things again or something comes up, we can bring it, bring it back to that and address it. So it's a useful team. Um, it's a useful team building exercise when you're working with two different teams and new people are joining together and you're all going to be accomplishing the same goal. Um, so that's my tip for today. It's great, Kristen. Is this something that you guys just came up with yourselves or did you guys hear of this somewhere? There's a great book um, through AIGA, which is it's the Professional um, Association for Designers, and they were talking through how to unify working groups together. And so that's one of the exercises that came out of, came out of it. Um, they also have, and I can share that book, I can share a link to that book. Um, they also have a, like a customer persona, how you can create that persona with the client, not just doing it on your own, but having the client input that information. And it's all visual based. So it's like, doesn't matter how, if you're a great drawer or anything, but you put a face on the board and then you talk about different things about the client and it's fantastic. That is amazing. Does anybody have any thoughts or questions about that? I think that's such a great idea. I love the idea of clarifying, you know, those type of core motivational factors before. Um, right. And, and it's such a simple step, but it's oftentimes, you know, you dive right into the project or you want to get, you know, deliverables done or the work done, but you forget to sort of take that perspective. Um, and I love that you do it visually as well. I think that's really mm -hmm. helpful. Yeah. I, I was gonna say, I, I, the, the reason those are the two, those are two good questions is it automatically sets up what are your objectives and what are your barriers? Mm -hmm. Whereas so many times you start a project and you just start and you get going and then you, you somewhere along the line, you go, what are we doing and why are we doing yeah. that? And I think that's a good way to start a project because it gets everybody on the same page. Here's what we're doing, why we're doing it, and the obstacles we're going to face. So I think it's a good, good way to get started. It's so helpful too for when you're talking to your customers because or your client because then you can be very clear about this is why we decided to do this. This is why, and they're like, oh, they really thought about this. They really, this is the reasoning behind. It's so important to be able to demonstrate why you're doing what you're doing. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say provides an important piece of awareness for everyone involved in the project, which I think helps get everyone on the same page. Yeah, yep. That's great, that's awesome, very valuable. Thank you so much, Kristen. Yana, mm -hmm. did you wanna share a tip today? Sure, so um, I'm Anna Tori. I um, founded Please to Mail You, an email and disability consulting agency. Um, I do something a little bit weird. My whole job is just ensuring that all the emails you guys send actually land in the inbox because people assume it does. And unfortunately it does not. 
Um, today I'm coming with something extremely interesting. Deliverability tools cost uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and it's not something a regular business can, can have, unfortunately. So um, especially small to medium-sized businesses, even larger ones cannot spend $120,000 a year on things like this. But um, the competition is fierce out there and a new product has come out called Email Console. So Oh no, we were at the good part. I know, we just lost you for a second, Yana Tori. See when she comes back, we'll have her back up just a little bit. And this is like, I will turn off my camera. Does this help? Yes, we can hear you. So <laughs> ah, just, perfect. The last few seconds, if you could just back up a little bit. Go sure. back so, to the console. I think that was the last. Perfect. So the product is called emailconsole.com. And what it does is that it will be able to help you maintain and monitor your email and domain reputation. This will help you, for example, do C-tests. So today's, that was going to be the interesting thing of today. Uh, C-tests in the email console are very interesting. So what you do is that you send an email to um, a list of email addresses. You just, you know, copy paste from this account. And what it does is that it will let you know if the email landed in the inbox or not. It will let you know if it was completely blocked, if it went into the spam folder, or if it went in the inbox. It's kind of like a credit check that the bank does before it actually does the credit check to give you a loan. Um, so it allows you to see if the content in your email is triggering anything, uh, but based on logic and as time progresses, you know, putting these spammy words are not going to be an issue anymore. You can put as many spammy words as you want, as long as you're following certain guidelines. So the technical aspect is very interesting to get because this is not something regular people can just, you know, you don't go to a terminal or your DNS entries to get this information. And um, this tool will be able to tell you if there's any security issues if somebody's pretending to be you, for example, which is also hurting your deliverability. It would also um, let you know if you're inboxing in Hotmail or maybe you're doing perfectly fine in Hotmail, but yeah, who doesn't like you? Uh, it allows you to see and kind of go around, not going around spam filters, but guess you get to know how spam filters work. So for example, Oh, we just lost you again. How people are engaging with your content and care more about, are you blacklisted? Oh no, am I, am I jumping out? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we just missed a tiny, tiny Anyways, it's, I'm so sorry for this. Usually I'm a, I have the quickest internet, but from home today, it's um, not doing, it's not faring well with the winter here. <laughs> well, I mean, you are coming from the Netherlands, so <laughs> we'll, we'll let you fly. But it is, it's a super interesting tool because you get the same information you will with a $120,000 product a year. Uh, this is $200 and it also comes with the other people like me who are working behind this tool to help you. So if you kind of see a red alert and you're like, oh my God, this, there's a problem, what do I do? They do have people there to fix it for you and help you do it. So you're saving money. You have a clear picture of your online reputation because it is extremely important when it comes to email. And uh, it will allow you to fix all the technical things that no one has the time to think of because this will monitor it for you. It's, it's super great. You guys should stock the two, <laughs> the people who created the, uh, this tool and uh, try it out for yourselves. We can probably give you a tour as well. Uh, if you tell them my name, they definitely will. We like in a tour you referred, can you please show me around, explain to me how I can use this and they definitely will help you. The email people are nice people. <laughs> 
That's amazing. That, I mean, that sounds game changing. And so it am is. I correct in understanding that it will, it's almost like it sends a test before you actually send the email. So if something is not going to go through, you can know that before you send it or am I misunderstanding that? Yes, exactly. So you go in the account and you decide like, for example, so some companies like here in, when I was working in from Canada, most of our clients were Gmails and Hotmails and Yahoo's. Now that I'm in Europe, the obviously Gmail and Yahoo, they're, they're all there, but I have to deal with a lot more inbox providers. They're a bigger ratio of the list. So it's important that GMX likes us and Yahoo.fr likes us and La Poste. So when I go in my account, I can be like, okay, my list is about, you know, 50% Gmail, 50, uh, 20% Yahoo and 30% GMX. So I tell the, the, the software this, and it will generate a list of email addresses that, that the whole purpose is to receive the email and let you know what happened. So I upload that in MailChimp or, and I just send out a real email as if I was sending to my customers. And the system is going to grab all these emails and let you know, like, hey, from your Gmail, you know, they all went to, actually, I can share my screen and show you an example. Awesome. How is that? <laughs> it will share it. It will show you something. So this is email console, which is very funny that it was it was open. Um, and the I was doing some tests for a customer, and as you can see, uh, we were sending some AOL tests, and the AOL tests failed. So one of them out of twenty five failed. So when I'm able to go in and see, you know, what is the issue in the view beautiful people around. Uh, so this email went to spam and I can see that the, oh, actually you can see it right here. They do way easier. It looks all hacky. So we see that this IP was the one that was sending out. So we can, somebody like me or somebody like the people behind the stool will be able to check, you know what, maybe MailChimp is having a problem right now. This, you know, sending infrastructure might not be you the problem, might be an infrastructural issue. So you can just contact MailChimp and be like, hey, when you're sending from this IP, all my emails are landing on spam. Can you remove it? It's their job to do that. All you need to know uh, is the monitoring part. As long as you know, you can complain to somebody who will fix it. And they have these tools like Spam Assassin, which will let you know if everything's fine. So the code is fine. And if any of these are flagged, um, it's hurting you. You don't need to be the one that fixes this. You know that it either uh, MailChimp or um, the, the IPs that are sending, you might have a list problem. If, for example, you had any um, emails and, for example, this email is listed in a blacklist, in a block list, so you're going to have a problem inboxing because these block lists just don't trust you and they won't do anything about it. So then you're going to have to go to the block list and communicate with them and let them know, hey, uh, what's wrong? And they might tell you, hey, you look like you bought a list or uh, you're sending too many emails, you're having too many bounce rates, too much spam complaints. They'll be able to tell you uh, and you'll be able to, to work on yourself because there's, it's really disappointing when you're working really hard on email content, on segmenting, on targeting, and then no one has received all the hard work you're doing. So I thought it was really, really cool. I think it's a game changer to not have to compete um, with uh, big businesses who unfortunately just have more, more information than just the regular business. So now we get to compete uh, with bigger businesses because we can have the same insights they do. And I think that's amazing. Wow, that is huge. It almost seems like this is going to reset the standards for email because if you can get to that level of deliverability, then it just, it, it's, it's like it raises the bar because we're going to expect that from now on. And, and exactly. And, so that's and it was so easy with that information. Yeah. And, and you, it's not even can, can the, a regular person act on it? 
it's just oh there's a problem 99% you're the one, you're just doing the content everything else is managed by somebody else is managed by HubSpot and MailChimp and and things like that your website um, your domain even if there's a problem with the domain and the authentication you can always contact GoDaddy and be like hey my email's not authenticated can you help me you always have somebody else that can do the work but you need the monitoring part um, and at some point when things happen over and over you know who to bother and who to ask and who to push um, so it's great that this tool comes with the people as well. You guys can always ask me questions <laughs> if there's anything. And um, I think it's a real game changer because when you have the information, you know what to fix. And you can prove information that you don't get. So I think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. Yana, is there like a percentage that you typically find, you know, certain number of emails that tend to have issues that companies like, is it typically like a 10% or a 20% or 8% or yeah, so most most tools deliver at about a 98%, um, like a regular like MailChimp, their standard is like 95 to 99% inbox rate. So that means even the most perfect client with the cleanest list and everything might have some issues. And it also has, it has to do with contextual things as well. Um, like I have a, a customer right now, they're more in the adult industry and the older the person is, the more chances the email is going to land just because of their behavior. They tend to sign up to websites that are not that clean or that, you know, they're a little bit spammy. So if a spammier email comes in, they will receive it versus me. I have some inboxes that's a little bit spam galore, but I have some inboxes that I really care about. So sometimes my inbox decides that the email just won't be received because I, the way I behave in my inbox. And that's something that's really hard to do because how are you supposed to know that? But all of this is impacting you long-term. So for months and months on end, like Gmail really cares about engagement. So adult content or um, uh, social media posts or transactional emails like receipts tend to deliver well because people really engage with them and because they don't have a choice. Uh, and Gmail really cares about this. So if 99% of your list doesn't open your emails, Gmail is going to be like, you know what, that 1%, is it really worth it to give them that email? So that behavior really, um, really impacts you. So the more monitoring you can do, the more information you have on the back side of things, of, you know, what does the world think of you? What is that credit score you have online? The more you can control and make sure that everything's fine. Uh, it proves also that we should be cleaning our lists and segmenting, right? And targeting people um, because unfortunately, Microsoft and Yahoo, they are working on spam filters that are going to be more um, user engagement based. Google is newer. They were able to do spam filters 10 years after Microsoft had to start thinking about them. So they create them and they really care about user behavior. What does user, user say? Hey, if you want to receive, you know, pharmaceutical weight loss pills, and you interact with these emails and you want them, why would Gmail block them? You know? So, uh, and Microsoft will might be able to say, oh, you know, it, it sounds like pharmaceuticals, this might be spam, let's put it in, the, in, in spam. It's not working anymore. And the spam filters will have to change and people are going to have a problem if they don't even know that Gmail is saying, you know what, I don't care about your email. But at least now you will know. <laughs> you will know. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much. That's really, really insightful. It's always great because we all touch email, whatever area of marketing, it's it's such a fundamental piece. So it's so important for all of us to keep up to speed on all of that. It's awesome. awesome. Thank you. And no awesome. problem. Um, Joe, did you have a tip you wanted to share today? Yes. All right. Um, so one of the main themes that we you probably hear from us a lot um, is the importance of having a plan. My name is Joe Gorley with CMC, Cindy Miller Communications, and we're in the crisis seat of this of this group. So having a plan is always important. 
Today, I want to talk about how to have a plan for an unexpected change in leadership, like a succession plan. Pandemics really highlighted how things can change quickly and affect our companies. So in the case that there needs to be a change in leadership, whatever the reason might be, um, it's important to communicate three things, stability, continuity, and reliability. Um, showing stability communicates that your company can endure any challenges or changes. Um, the definition of continuity is the unbroken and consistent existence or operation of something over a period of time, demonstrating business as usual. I'm sorry if you hear the whiny pup in the back, we got a new one that just likes to chat. Um, and then reliability is the most important. It's important to let your customers know that your company has been and always will be um, trustworthy and able to perform at its best. So remember those three things, but um, some of the elements of a succession communications plan can include a holding statement um, that can be used immediately in the case of an illness or an accident or an unexpected death. Um, we talk about holding statements a lot because your brain's working a lot clearer um, when it's not in the heat of, a flame, heat of the flame of the crisis. Um, an internal announcement to board members and employees you want to give them as much information as you can to avoid them filling the voids um, and creating noise. And then statement and background materials are important to send to local uh, industry media for everywhere that your company works and operates. Um, again, given as much information as you can so that they aren't filling those voids and, and you're controlling the narrative. Um, and then communication to customers, vendors, and in the case of nonprofits or donors um, and members. So like I said before, this communication, all of it should, should focus around stability, continuity, and reliability. And having all these things in place before a crisis is, is key, so. Well, I can imagine that it's gotta be really challenging for companies in the midst of an overarching crisis to then have a company crisis on top of that, because now you're on two different levels of you know, dealing with, with the communication on that. And, and have you guys experienced that having clients, you know, during the season of COVID, then they also have their own things that are unrelated to COVID. Is there anything different that you guys do with that? Or is it just a pretty similar situation? Um, it's really just about stability and continuity. Like we're, it's business as usual. You know, we're still the company that we've always been, you know, no matter what's going on, we can face these challenges. So, you know, and then, like you said, being prepared because when these things start to pile up, you, you, it's, it becomes a hole you can't dig out of. So having these plans in place, like with our clients, we like to, we, we have a crisis book that we make with them. And that's, it covers, you know, it's got statements for a number of different situations that, you know, you might not think of initially, so. Great. Does anybody have any questions for Joe or any comments? Joe, is there is there a type of business where they would think that they would never need a crisis communication where they've used you and you've thought, like, is there blind spots? You know what I mean? That, you know. Well, okay. yeah, it's actually very common. A lot of people, a lot of our clients are heat of the flame crisis. Mm -hmm. And we're happy to help in that regard, too, but it's a lot harder. Um, but back to your first part of your question, it does seem like some small businesses, it's maybe not that they don't think that they're vulnerable or something, but 
they are focused on so many other things and and they don't take the time to look at that piece of you know what happens if one of our five members goes down you know how can we show everyone that we can still carry on so yeah that's huge especially like you said if you have a small team and now a fifth of your team is either out or especially you know as people are out for extended times for health issues you know particularly now that sort of thing you know oh that can happen to anybody particularly now <laughs> so you know most companies are not prepared for that you know what if your ceo is sick for a couple months um you know are you prepared for that and i would say most businesses probably are not and that's not a good thing and so super helpful information. Thank you, Joe. Um, Jamie, did you want to share a tip today? And then Rudy, did you want to share after? Sure. Okay. So mine is kind of just on the topic of Instagram reels. Um, so it's kind of like TikTok and it's actually a great thing for um, uh, businesses to start using, um, especially if you have like a product that you're selling. Um, so it's kind of like TikTok in the sense that it's like a 15, 30 second video um, and you can edit it within Instagram. And so you can edit it based on um, and add like audio to it and then like have people search through it through like audio, very similar to TikTok. Um, so you can like find like trending sounds if you want um, or like have your own unique sound. Um, you can add a bunch of like cool effects like within Instagram, like AR effects that make it like really engaging. Um, and then um, you can set the time and like speed it up and slow it down. It's kind of like stories, but more engaging and more exciting for your audience. Um, and then the cool thing is, is now that like with the, the newest update, it's now at like the center of Instagram in the navigation bar. And so it's like Instagram's way of like kind of pushing people to start searching for um, reels and engaging with them and pushing like content um, creators to start making more reels um, so people can discover them through it. And you do have to be public to be able to push it out on um, like the explore page, but you can um, still, if you're on your a private, account you can still push it to your feed which is kind of cool so it's like kind of the concept of like if you had an Instagram story that you wanted to like then turn into like a post it's super easy to do all that um but it's like a video instead um which I think is really cool and um I was looking up some facts and there's currently there's over 1 billion active users on Instagram so and with um same with TikTok the age so like millennials are becoming a bigger demographic than they were before, um, which is making it more attractive to advertisers because they're more likely to spend money. Um, like Gen Z is great, but currently probably not spending as much money as like millennials. Um, so it's becoming like a better platform for businesses and to actually like, make money off of. Um, and so I think that's the main of it. Um, but I just thought it was kind of cool like that they're it's pushing people to be more creative and more just like than just posting the couple seconds of like a story of like a quick peek into someone's life. It actually is giving creators um, the opportunity to share their stories and go deeper and um, show more intimate parts of like what they're doing or what their business is doing. That's awesome, Jamie. Does anybody have any questions or thoughts for Jamie? Well, I, I actually did. I, I don't. Um admittedly don't we were active on 
a couple of social media platforms and Instagram is not one of them. And um, I, I am anxious to learn more about it. We have a, we have a very small presence. So my question is, do you know how Instagram does? I mean, obviously the B2C is obvious because like you said, a billion users. Do you know how effective it can be in terms of like a B2B sort of messaging? So for B2B, it's a little bit more complicated. There are ways that um, if you can kind of spin your, like your service as a, as a product, um, that it'll let you do more of the other features like the, um, what is it? Like, uh, like you, so you can like attach like products kind of like within your posts and stuff. Um, so like the example on like one of the webinars that I was watching was that um, like SaaS, like the, um, they can like spin it in a way that like it's a, it's a service technically, but it's also kind of a product um, that, you know, companies are then taking and using and implementing and so it becomes a product in that sense. Um, but it is a little bit trickier for B2B. I would suggest that if you are, um, if you don't have an Instagram, do you have a Facebook? Business Facebook? Okay, yeah. Oh, that's where you want to get started um, because that is going to be, you need a Facebook business account. I would start with that before the Instagram, because if you're going to do like Instagram ads or Facebook ads, either of those, um, you're going to have to start with the Facebook um, and do all that. And then um, if you have the Facebook account, then it makes just starting up with Instagram easier because you can, um, they, since Facebook bought Instagram, they can, you can automate your posts through Instagram because especially a lot of the platforms like Hootsuite, um, Instagram's made it a little harder for like third parties to um, control within Instagram. So Facebook is good that if you have that. Thank you. And I was curious too, in terms of the, cause obviously a billion users, like that's huge, but is there any sense of, you know how when all of the older generation got on Facebook, the younger generation kind of lost its interest a little bit. Is there any sense of that or is Instagram still just as popular as ever with the younger generation or is anybody kind of moving to the next thing do you, that you see? Yeah, there was actually a stat on that. So, um, let me take that. okay, yeah, so it says here that, um, this is for TikTok, but it's similar to kind of um, audience staff. Um, so the percentage of US-based TikTok users aged uh, 25 to 34 increased from 22.4% in January to 27.4% in April, while the 18 to 24 year old bracket fell from 41.1 to 35.3%. So it fell a little bit, but I mean, it's still a huge percentage. Yeah, it's always interesting to see because there's never just one platform that is the end all. You know, there's always the next thing that's coming. And, and so it's just, so, challenge to stay on top of all of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's awesome. That is super helpful information. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate I have it. a comment related to Jamie talk, um, and a little bit answering Rudy's question about how to market to B2B brands with those type of reels and, um, you know, any of the more quick interactive or, you know, in the moment type of social media posts, but um, case studies and how to you know, always are really a wonderful, people are always looking for examples, you know, and B2B buyers are always doing a lot of their research online, but, you know, a case study, if they're, they happen to be on Instagram because maybe their kids are on Instagram or something like that. And they're, you know, and that's how my parents and, you know, 
that type of thing got on it. And then they're scrolling through and, you know, the advertisers of a product that they might use have targeted them by age and they may see, oh, you know, this product could be a perfect and they see a great example of someone saying, oh, we had this success with this service with this product. So, you know, I think those type of how to or case studies can be really effective in those avenues. That's true. That's a great point, Sarah. Wonderful. All right. Rudy, would you like to introduce yourself and share a tip today? Uh, yeah, I'm Rudy Fernandez. Uh, I own a small creative shop called Creative Outhouse here in Atlanta. And we uh, specialize in brand launches. And what we've done most of really is uh, what are called behavior change campaigns. So we don't sell bubble, bubble gum or beer. We normally uh, help people figure out how to change. You know, we do a lot of work with the CDC, getting people to lose weight, stop smoking, start exercising, that kind of thing, get tested for HIV, uh, get people to ride transit. So it's sort of more lifestyle changes, a little more, uh, uh, like I said, it's not, it's, it's less impulse, more, more trying to get more into the, the science of behavior change and using creative to get them to change it. So that's what we do. And it's related to what I was gonna say, um, I wrote a white paper uh, last week on uh, vaccine hesitancy. So about a third, they're saying about a third of the people are saying they're gonna wait and see in terms of not getting a vaccine right when it's available to them. So I wrote a white paper to employers because it's gonna be a big challenge for employers if they start to try to migrate back into the office. If a third of your employees are saying, I don't want a vaccine, how do you handle that? You can't say get it or else because that that's, there's some bad problems to that. So it's about how to talk to people about um, who are hesitant to your message. And the reason I bring it up, because I don't know if anybody's gonna have that problem, but is because I, I shared it with a friend of mine who's in sales. And he said, actually, there's a lot of really good sales ideas in here as well. And uh, I'll, I'll just share some of the things he thought he thought was a lot interesting. Because like one, one of the things we say is, um, is that we call it don't should on people. Because the first reaction is you, you need to do this because of all these reasons. And we like to do that. And as soon as you do that, people block you. Um, there's a, it's called resistance persuasion. And, uh, and he says that, you know, he runs into that because a lot of his salespeople will say, hey, that product you bought is bad. You should try my product type thing. And the uh, uh, reason that doesn't work is because that person was probably involved in the decision to buy the other product. And so what you're saying is you don't do your job very well. So immediately they're going to build a big defense around you. So you, there are other ways to, to communicate that without, without saying you should do something. Because as soon as you do that, and there are reasons why we all do that as humans, especially Americans, as soon as you tell us we have to do something, we're going to, we're going to tell you, I don't think so. I'm going to do the opposite because screw you. <laughs> so that was one of the tips in the paper. Um, and I could send you folks a paper. It's about vaccine hesitancy, but I guess you'll see other aspects of human behavior. And, and the most important one is before anything, uh, uh, similar to what Kristen said is, you, is to listen. You know, you really have to listen to what, whether you're in sales or trying to get, anytime you're trying to convince somebody who's resistant of something, you really need to listen to what their concerns are deeper than what they say they are. Cause there's always something that ties into some internal story that they have about themselves. And, and that's sort of your identity is a story you tell yourself about yourself. And, and if you listen closely, you can, you know, one woman we interviewed said that uh, she would not want to, she was in her thirties. She was a young, she was a mom of young children was not going to get a vaccine because she doesn't know long-term effects. And I don't want to do that. 
And so to her, in her mind, what I hear is, I'm not gonna get a vaccine because I'm a good mom. So, but on the other end, you hear the opposite of somebody else saying, I'm going to get it because I wanna be here for my kids and I wanna be sick. So they're saying, I'm gonna get it because I'm a good mom. So, so you just have to learn what that internal story is in order to be able to address it before uh, you, do, you start to deliver any kind of message. I hope that's helpful. There's a, there's a bunch of other tips and I don't wanna overdo uh, my, my time here, uh, but always listening, making sure you find a way to give them control, appeal to some value or identity that's important to them that you can tell is important to them to kind of supplant whatever it is that's blocking them from, from your message. Um, and more than anything else, uh, be trustworthy because if the only, the only reason anybody's gonna buy anything you have to sell is because they trust you. Um, and, and that comes in a lot of different forms and a lot of times it has to be earned and, and you, you have to, they're not, they're not gonna, you may have the best product in the world, better than everybody else's, but if they don't trust you, they're not gonna buy it. So, so you, have to, you have to be able, the facts aren't gonna matter until you've won their trust. Anyway, that's my, that's my spiel. That is great. I would love to hear some of the other tips because I think that is so applicable to marketing because that's basically we're all trying to, you know, know our customers well enough that we know the motivation behind what they say. And, you know, there's usually behavior change, whether it's to buy something or, you know, use a service and that sort of thing. So please bring more tips. Maybe next week, if you want to share or next month, if you want to share a couple sure. more, I'd love to hear. Oh them. yeah. Yeah. I'm, I try to, um, not be a bore at parties and go on too much about it. But, uh, uh, you need but, to go to my parties because I could talk to you about this for hours. <laughs> I'm, I'm always saying the same thing. I'm like, oh, I love this. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's a, a lot of different modes. In fact, we're. I'm really excited right now. Um, this is a, a personal project that we're, I'm just doing. I don't say for fun, but but um, I've, I've I'm working with the Atlanta VA and their endocrinology division to try to figure out how to train physicians. I had to talk to their patients who have diabetes on how to change their behavior because diabetes is a chronic condition where all the treatment takes place outside the, the doctor's purview. So you, they've got to monitor, it's complicated. You can monitor your blood sugar, what you eat, how you exercise, all this. And most people are resistant to it. And, uh, and physicians don't know how to, you know, like I said, he says, you know, I tell them not to overeat. I was like, you tell them they overeat? Well, right away, you're accusing them of doing something bad. They're not going to listen to you. So, so I'm going to be working with them on how to communicate in a way that, that wins the patient's trust and gets them to, to change their behavior. So I'm excited about that. And I think that's, again, it's the same as, like you said, sales or anything else is you have to know where that person is coming from to be able to connect with them and, and convince them of something. So I'm seeing an online training for <laughs> hospitals and doctor's offices to purchase to train their doctors to have these conversations. Have you, are you going in that direction at all? Cause that would be. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I think that I've learned this the hard way it is if I learn it, the most important thing I can do for my business is to figure out who I serve and how I serve them. And in this way, I, I think I can, if I can find out if what I know can help people, then yes, eventually diabetes, is responsible for about 40% of early deaths in this country. It is bigger than, it's the biggest epidemic we have, but it's not, it, we don't talk here, talk about it a lot. Um, so so if, if you can find a way to help this, these veterans in the VA, 
then you can expand that. Yes. Have some trainings, have some, find out what works and what doesn't. And, and yeah, eventually you can monetize it, I, I, I think. But if I start thinking that way at first, it keeps me from doing the first thing. So I'm, I'm yeah, hoping it, just, it works. It would help a lot of people, <coughs> I those doctors so. to have those tools. I mean, that could be really, really, that could impact a lot of people. Yeah, I, I hope so. Right. I'm, I'm excited about it. So That's right awesome. now getting a lot of stuff ready for that. Well, good. Well, thank you for sharing. Thanks. Sarah, did you want to share a tip today and then I'll wrap this up and Absolutely. Um, Rudy, real quick to his point, it's interesting about the COVID and the vaccine because I've already heard some of that. Um, my husband's company, he was on a conference call the other day, um, like an all hands meeting um, for a large company. And they had like a 45 minute talk about, you know, the COVID vaccine and all the different types of science and, you know, why it's safe and things like that. And this came after a poll of wanting to get people back in the office and they had, you know, 50% said that they didn't want the vaccine. Yeah. You know, so I, I'll tell you if I'm, I can send you the white paper if you like, and, and yeah, I'd love happy to, to talk it. to your husband in deeper, you know, deeper, cause it's a, obviously a surface of you know, right. general things, but honestly, a lot of it has to do with lack of trust in, in our institutions. It's just right. deteriorated over time. We don't trust our government, we don't trust health officials. And without trust, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do, because I don't trust you. So, so the facts aren't going to change that you first have to figure out where the trust breakdown is, and then address that. And, and employers have an opportunity because that's a societal thing. An employer operates a small, tiny society. And, and he or she's going to have to um, figure out how to break down some of those trust issues uh, to, to, to get to, so that the facts can be absorbed. Right, exactly. You're right though. I think trust is the most important and probably the biggest yeah. issue with the vaccine. So that's interesting. Yeah. All right, so my tip today, um, <clears throat> my name is Sarah Stewart. I work with SoGro PR. Um, I wear lots of different hats and help Stephanie with different projects, um, but I'm also our social media person. So I do a lot of that. I've been doing social media for I think about 10 years. So it's been a while, um, but this was interesting. I was looking through Hootsuite had a new report for 2021 of some major trends um, and things that was going on. And I will share my screen so you all can look a little bit at this. But one of the trends was about baby boomers getting on social media. So, you know, we know that they have been on there to an extent and we've all seen this more, but that, you know, since COVID that baby boomers are um, becoming more engaged and becoming more savvy with using different social media and making purchases and things like that. So with your strategy, don't forget about those baby boomers out there and, you know, really speaking to them and, um, you know, marketing to that demographic. So, you know, a big move of them online. Um, and then another thing I ran into was- Sarah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's just me, but I don't see any, I said, it says Sarah Stewart has shared her screen, but all I see is a blank screen. I don't know if that's okay. just me. Yeah, I can't see it either, Sarah. Okay, wait, wait, here, let's see. It says that you're sharing it, but it's just black. It's just, it's just black. Let me try something. All right, I'll go back here. Let me try this again. All right, um, I'll take the screen back over here. It's funny, this is never, it never works quite seamlessly for me. 
Um, all right, let's do this one. All right, there we go. So you can see that. Bring this down. Bring that up. I need to expand this. Here we go. All right, now we can see. All right, baby boomers. Um, so this is Hootsuite's 2021 social media trends report. Can you guys see it now? Yes. Awesome, cool, perfect. So, you know, they talk about, um, you know, baby boomers moving online. 70% um, <clears throat> of internet users aged 55 to 64 say they bought something online in the past month. 37% are planning on continue, continue on doing so more frequently after COVID. So, you know, baby boomers are having, you know, more adoption of using social media and using online platforms for grocery shopping and, you know, everyday things. And then also just becoming more engaged and more open and comfortable. I mean, I remember a point when my parents felt like online banking and, you know, different things like that was so scary, but, you know, increasingly they're more comfortable with, you know, spending money online, making purchasing decisions online, you know, being engaged, you know, and we're all at home more. So, you know, really being able to interact digitally. Um, another trend that I thought was interesting was the type of content that baby boomers are attracted to more. And it was, um, it went into that they were passions or hobbies, um, that that was really a big thing. And that goes back to the whole um, a little bit with case studies, but one article I read about it was using social media, you know, even if you're doing a B2B, like we have a company that does paper packaging. So, you know, maybe for social media, they do, you know, packaging the perfect gift or packaging the perfect care package or figuring out a way to, you know, make that, you know, make an interesting how-to video or things like that, you know, being creative. Um, and those type of things also come up in searches if you know the person is on Facebook and you know they're really interesting and interested in you know packaging or different things like that and they you know how to package this how creative ways or maybe they're into crafting and they want to know you know what's a creative way I could make something for my kids to play with I saw one the other day so everybody has dogs now these days or pets because of COVID and my dog tears up his dog toys like insane. So I Googled, um, or I was looking for creative dog toys and things that I could make at home. So I watched a couple of videos and found some stuff online about dog toys. And I found that you can put a water bottle in a sock and um, maybe put two socks if you're worried that the dog will get the water bottle, tie a little knot on the end, the dog chews on the water bottle, super useful, you know, um, another thing I saw that would relate to paper packaging was to get an old cereal box, put a bunch of like biscuits or something or dog food in it and let the dog tear up the cereal box. So, you know, less expensive than the $12 dog toys that your dog spends three minutes on tearing up and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't keep paying for my dog to tear up these $12 items. Um, but this is just a really great report. It's really, you know, some great data in here and statistics that you can look at. But, um, you know, really remember, you know, 
not stereotyping baby boomers, remembering it's an incredibly, you know, they have a lot of assets, they have a lot of purchasing power. Um, a lot of them, you know, are still involved at the top leadership of companies, or they serve on, you know, boards or at, that are at least, you know, consulting with the company and things like that. So, you know, whether you're marketing your product directly or figuring out creative ways to appeal to their hobbies or other things, how-to videos that they might be interested in. Um, that is my tip of today. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Does anybody have any thoughts or questions for Sarah? Sure. If you share that document, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. There was lots of good stuff. And I, <clears throat> I love Hootsuite. They always have interest by looking at the data. They always come back with some, you know, interesting things that I don't read everywhere. Yeah. You, you know, the other thing I ran into is when I was looking for trends for 2021. Oh, well, Stephanie, I don't want to run. There's only like 10 minutes left. I'm going to be quiet and you go. Well, let's write a um, forum post on it and let's talk about it next next month too. Cause I'll gotcha. to, I want to hear what you want to say. Cool. So awesome. Good deal. All right. So I'm going to wrap us up with a quick tip. So my name is Stephanie Richards and my company is Sogro Public Relations. We are a B2B public relations firm. And today I wanted to talk about influencer marketing. So when we often talk about influencer marketing, often the first thing that comes to mind is Instagram stars who are now getting paid money to promote products or people who are on YouTube or Facebook or whatever it might be. And so we generally think on the consumer side of things because it's very effective on the consumer side of things. But influencer marketing can also be effective in the B2B world, but it just looks a little different. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how to find the B2B influencers and what that looks like for B2B. And when we talk about influencers, we're not necessarily talking about traditional media outlets. So your PR strategy needs to include the traditional media outlets with editors and the trade publications and that sort of thing. We're talking about a different group. And this group is the people who are more independent. So it's going to be your independent experts, the people who are the people that in that industry they look to. And it's, if you start to break it down, there's a way to look at it in terms of there are people who have a large following that are promoting their own business and they're not necessarily influencers, but the people that you're looking for are the people that are, they may have their own business, but they've moved beyond promoting just their business and they're now promoting bigger industry ideas. So those are the people that we want to look for. And as I was doing research and thinking about this, there are um, some signs of these B2B influencers and the things you want to look for you want to look for people who have frequent media appearances and interviews and people that are published authors and frequent contributors to industry publications. They may have a column on Forbes, but they're not a Forbes employee. People that have a large social media following and then people that are frequent speakers and then content creators. So again, look at people who are not just putting out information about their business, but they're interviewing people from other companies and, and they're really putting out more information that's industry-wide. So if you look at three categories of influencers, one that is really exploding right now is podcast host. There are so many people out there who, like I said, they may have their own business, but they have a podcast that's a bigger network of topics. And um, I put on the forum a few examples. Let me share my screen really quickly and you can um, 
see a couple of these examples. So you can go to the SOGO Marketing Forum and I actually created a new category for the um, marketing influencers. So we can talk about that. Can you guys see the screen? All right, so there are a couple of podcasts here that I wanted to just highlight to give you an idea of good examples. So one of them is the AEC Leadership Today podcast. And this is very focused on the architecture, engineering, construction industry, but there are a lot of experts on there from different industries. So look for people like that. Um, Thrive by Design with Tracy Matthews is one of my favorite podcasts. She talks to multiple people in the jewelry industry, including marketers, including people who have their own jewelry brands. It's such a wide swath and she's got a great following. So again, just looking at things like this, um, She Conquers Capital, Stephanie Diaz is a new podcast that is, is just rec has just recently launched, but she's in the venture capital area. So again, these are just some ideas of what to look for when you're looking for these. And then I've put some bloggers. It's the same sort of idea with bloggers. You're not looking for the bloggers that are part of a formal media organization, but you're also not just looking for a company blog. You're looking for that in between where it's more of an industry-wide publication. And it's the same thing on YouTube. Um, the Medical Futurist is a great example of that. Um, Lumi is one of my favorite YouTube channels for packaging. It's a great, great channel. And getting something like that, um, getting a channel like that, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Getting on a channel like that is a great opportunity to get exposure to a wider market. So those were just a few ideas. So when you think of influencer marketing, don't just think of business to consumer. It is also business to business as well. So, all right, Let's see if I can get my, so that was my tip for the day. Any thoughts or questions on anything anybody talked about today? Do you have, how much data do these folks have on their audience? You know, that's a good question. And I think it just depends on how sophisticated they are. And you might lose a little bit on, in terms of data for kind of that middle level market because they're not gonna be as sophisticated as a media publication. Yeah. And they may not necessarily know that they're a business to business influencer. And part of that is good in the sense that the best influencers are the ones that are not paid in my opinion, <laughs> because it's a natural relationship where somebody's promoting content because they believe in it. And a lot of the business to business influence haven't gotten to the level where they have created a formal influencer program where they have a media kit and they have yeah. information where they know this is how much I charge to be on the show. And honestly, especially in the B2B world, the podcast that charge their guests, I steer clear from. Um, I just don't yeah. think that, that is a great, uh, I, I just don't think the content is, can stand on its own in those ways. Um, yeah. And we've been with podcasts. I imagine if you're going to pay to be on, to be a sponsor, you're going to want to ask for their data. I mean, because you can get whether Buzzsprout or whatever, you can see sort of roughly how many listeners they have, where they are. You don't, you don't get, you know, your titles or anything, but imagine you, you, it's okay to ask for that stuff, right? Absolutely. And you can get a good sense because again, and, and you're looking really for quality over quantity in, in the B2B market, because I would rather have a podcast with a thousand loyal followers who are CEOs than a 
consumer podcast that has a million followers that never reach CEOs. So I really look at the quality of it and the, the, the people who are actually listening and engaging. And so, you know, you can go to their LinkedIn profile. Who's actually commenting on their post? Do they get a lot of engagement? And, you know, what are their followers? So you look at different platforms. So they've got their podcast. What's their LinkedIn profile look like? What's their Twitter profile look like? Wonderful. Well, we are just about at time. So thank you all so much for coming today. Every time we do these meetings, I walk away with so much information that I did not have before. And the best part is I didn't have to do all the research myself because it would be impossible to keep up to speed on all these different areas. So our next meeting is Tuesday, March 16th, 10 a.m. Eastern. And please invite your marketing contacts. We are a very collaborative environment, so it's okay if there's a little bit of overlap. Um, what we like to do is just have a large group of people who are really experts in their field. And the more tips that we have, then the more people we get to learn from, the more networks we get. So please think of at least one person you can invite next time and um, look for a couple follow-up emails from us. And we appreciate you guys joining today. Thank you for listening to the SoGrow Marketing Council podcast. Want to be part of our next meeting? Visit SoGrowPR.com. That's S-O-W-G-R-O-W-P-R.com and click on the Marketing Council tab to sign up for our next event. Until next time, keep growing.